Welcome back to the Disruptors Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Johnson. The trends around quantified self and productivity optimization have been around for years. But when COVID arrived, many people started to reflect on their lives. And one of the themes that seems to have emerged from that has been a shifting emphasis from simply hustling or working harder to pursuing balance. My guest today is Brian Fioka, founder of Rescue Time and an alum of Y Combinator. And in this conversation, we discuss how Rescue Time started as a productivity tool, how they've transitioned to be more about helping customers find balance in their lives, and the surprising things that they've learned along the way about how people work. It's a fascinating conversation with a lot of implications. I think you'll find it interesting. And with that, let's go to Brian. All right, Brian, thank you so much for doing this. Why don't we start with just for folks that are not familiar, what is Rescue Time? Sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Rescue Time's mission is really to help people who work on computers understand how they spend their time, be more focused, feel less overwhelmed, and ultimately help them spend more time on the things they want to be doing, probably even off the computer a lot of the time. So we started back in 2007. And Rescue Time is an app that runs on your computer in your taskbar, in your menu bar, that keeps track of what you're doing all day while you're active. It categorizes your activities and like gives you some analytics about how you're spending your time. But more importantly, especially now with our relaunch, we coach you on things like how much should you be focusing every day? When have you reached your focus goal? When's the best time for you to be focused? How many meetings do you have? How is that impacting your work? Are you spending too much time in email and communications? And like, how is that affecting? So it used to be when we launched back in 2007, it was much more about personal analytics. And now it's more like a physical personal trainer, except for your computer. So less screen time on iOS and more Apple Fitness or Fitbit. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd be curious to learn about a little bit more about that evolution. You know, I, I used it back in the day and it was, you know, like you said, it was very much kind of focused on productivity, I think, and and how how I can get more done, you know, in less time and with fewer distractions and that kind of thing. And it seems like you really evolved more to this idea of of like balance. And I would imagine that part of that was precipitated by COVID. But I'd be curious to hear kind of your evolution in your thinking and how that informed some of the decisions that you made with the product. Certain, yeah, it's it's a really interesting journey. And, and it's, it's interesting looking back because balance was sort of always there. It's just, I think there were, there was much more resistance to talk about it. And maybe some of it was fear on our part and maybe just sort of like people weren't ready to hear it back in the, the days of the crushing it culture of tech startups. But I mean, for one thing, like productivity is, is it turns out it's pretty hard to measure productivity in a general sense. And so like, you know, we took a stab at that and, you know, sometimes we do a pretty good job. We got to a way we can actually approximate it. I mean, the way that we started out was literally, we just sent you basically a second by second breakdown of the apps and websites that you went into. And it was up to you to categorize them, like tag them, we did tags at first. And then we used those tags to drive categories. And then those categories were things like things that people use for work, people use for personal or, or things that are distracted or social media. And so we kind of like started to come up with a sense for what might be productive based on your job role. We did a lot of research into like what people's job roles are. How do they compare with the rest of the population? And, you know, we got pretty close with productivity, but along the way, I think we realized that we had built something that like, whether we knew it or not, was making people feel like they just constantly needed to be more productive. And then that's, that's just sort of like a meme that like, 
exists in capitalism, I guess. But yeah. that's not what we actually saw. Like even in the very first early days, like when we were working at this at Y Combinator, one of the first things that I noticed in one of the reports that we ran was if I took a day off in the middle of the week, I know mean, we were working like six days a week back in the early days. If I took a day off in the middle of the week, it actually helped me regain focus and be, you know, quote unquote productive again. So that was sort of the early indications that like balance is important, but we never really did a good job of building into the product, the sense of balance. I think partly because there wasn't a strong demand for it. Like we were building what people wanted and people wanted to be productive, but we didn't like have the confidence to basically tell people that, oh, that's not really what you want though. Like in order to be productive, you need to like calm down. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so. I guess what changed? I mean, what, what is it? Is it the public zeitgeist? Is it, you know, that's, we've kind of come to terms at least to some degree with kind of hustle culture and some of the dark aspects of it, uh, or did your organization kind of acquire the confidence to, to start to assert that no, that is, you, you know, there's a difference between kind of stated preferences and revealed preferences and what, what you, what you actually want based on our data or whatever it is, is something different than what maybe you said you want. How, how did you get to that place? It's really interesting. I, I mean, I think, I think some of all of that, like, you know, over the years, so I, I was at the company for four years when it started 2007 to 2011. And then, you know, I stepped away and started doing other things. I worked at some other startups. I worked at a venture capitalist firm at an incubator. And along the way, I kept the habits that the product sort of built for me, which were basically, once I got to like three or four hours of productive time, according to what I had configured in the version of the app that we built, I knew I could stop work. Like no matter what, when it was in the day, like if I, if I kept going, I was going to burn myself out. There's something that I learned there. And so, you know, when I worked at risky time for those four years, I could just do that. If it was like 2 PM and I hit my goal, I would just cut out because like I was the founder of the company and everybody understood inside the company that that's what was optimal for everybody. And so it wasn't a big deal. But when I switched to other, when I worked for somebody else, like no, almost nobody has that context. So like the optics were really bad if I did that. So I always just kind of like found a way to stick around and like do other things. During the pandemic, well, actually, I'll, let me back up for a second. So remote work was always also a big thing. Like we, one of our investors is the founder of Automatic, Matt Mellowig, who, and Automatic is a fully remote company that makes WordPress. They were one of the first. They're pretty public about the benefits of it. They helped us realize that we can be fully remote and we've been doing that for a long time. But it wasn't until the pandemic that people kind of got the empathy to understand that being remote was actually okay and not something that you need to be afraid of, right? Like, unless you have that personal experience, just like anything else, you're afraid of like, oh, somebody's going to take advantage of me or I'm going to, I'm going to lose something by making this switch. But, you know, during the pandemic, that all changed and everybody kind of got a sense for like, oh, actually this is kind of okay. And because of that, I think people are starting to be more open to these other ideas that kind of go along with it, which is a lot of, you know, the things that sort of people think of as productivity are just sort of optics, like being, you know, people, Paul Graham actually said in our interview, Y Combinator, that like, oh, this could break the spell of the 40 hour work week. Like the idea that people hang coats on the back of their chairs instead of like, you know, actually working. And they've been doing that for decades. Yeah. And so we've always been trying to set up to do that, but there wasn't as much reception for it. And I think people are starting to figure it out because they have actual experience around like commuting isn't a thing anymore. You know, what does that give you back in your day? Like how much time does it really take to do the things that you really need to do? And so I think that's a big part of it. 
Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I met, you, you mentioned the four hour, you know, the four hours. I mean, I did when I did the new the revised onboarding, and you know, you asked me some questions and things like that. I got a focus goal, I think, of like three hours a day, which I because you know I've read Cal Newport, I've read a bunch of that kind of stuff. Like it, it didn't shock me, but I would imagine that that probably does violate some internal narratives or and certainly like some organizational narratives, as you mentioned. When you were testing that with users, I mean, I guess first of all. I'd be curious to hear like to what, to what degree rescue time gets kind of adopted, like in an organizational sense, to the degree that it's mostly pers- you know, personal in nature. Like did that, did you find that when you were testing with users that it kind of violated their narratives? And then I guess, secondly, what have you seen in terms of, I, okay, I buy into this, I'm a team member, I'm an individual contributor, a manager, whatever it is. I buy into that idea that really I, I start to burn out, you know, if I, as it gets into like five hours a day or whatever it is, or I attempt to, I think I'm doing five hours of focus work, but I'm really not. How do they translate that to your point to the organizational level? Like how do they, do they still have to continue to do this sort of theater or have you, do you know folks that have kind of managed to convince their larger team that no, like, you know, you're going to practically speaking, get three hours of focus work done a day. And if you do that to your point by two o'clock, amazing, like go, go play golf or whatever. How have you seen that play out in other organizations or other customers? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it varies. And like, you know, Cal Newport's work is, is really important. And it's, it's great that, you know, it's getting up there. In fact, like, I think there's a whole chapter in his new book about us. But it, what's interesting about it is like, I think we arrived at that conclusion independently. Our data shows it organically just over the last 14 years. Like the average focus work time that people spend especially in larger companies is around two hours a day. Like that's, that's the most you can expect from the average person. So if you're doing two hours of focus work and that's very strictly defined, like includes things like, doesn't include usually things like email, unless you're somebody whose job requires you to be an email all the time, which is we've, we account for that. Then, you know, if you do more than two hours of focus work a day, you're, you're in, you know, you're above average, right? So we pick something that works for you and work, what works for your industry, what your role is, whether you're an IC or a manager, whether you're a small company or a big company and what your personal like work goals and life balance goals are. And yeah, like it's surprising to people. And, you know, we could do a better job, I think, of messaging that, especially with this new version. One of the things that we have is like, we're, we're just so used to the idea that that's just the way it is that sometimes we forget that like it's, it's shocking to people. Like one of our beta users was like working, I think something like five or six hours of focus time and just like fried, like constantly fried. And she was like, Hey, like, does this mean I can stop when I get to three? And we're like, yeah, <laughs> like, like, and she's like, no, but I feel like I need to do more. Like nobody does. Like nobody does more than that. It's just not a thing. And she was like relieved. And yeah, I think we're not doing a good enough job with that. And so like, that's one of the things that this that came out of this launch and this beta period for us where we're like, yeah, we really need to beat that drum more. And we need to like point to other people like Cal who are sort of like really kind of messaging this and, 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 you know, show off all the data that we have about it and then like help organizations, you know, help teach organizations. Like we can put together email campaigns to like teach your boss, like this is what's normal. And, and, you know, sort of like help spread that knowledge. And, and one of the things that we don't want to do though is, and in fact, this was kind of a big, driver in our refactor was like, we don't want to create tattleware. Like we don't, we don't support yeah. the idea of managers running rescue time on their employees' computers and looking at their data. Like that's not a supported thing. And we will shut down accounts that do that. That's yeah. not our business. Our business is helping people balance. So anyway, that's a bit of off yeah. track. Yeah. So you're, optim- you're optimizing for the, for the individual team, not, you're not trying to build. Yeah. 
organizational software to, to yeah. We, we tried that. We went that direction like various times. We tried an early version of something called groups where you could invite whoever you wanted to and sort of be in a group with you. And that turned into like, okay, teams wanted it. But when we, when we made the teams version, I mean, we, privacy is really important to us. So we didn't show any detailed information about what people were doing, just sort of generally how many hours they were spending in like focused, productive time. And people kept being like, well, we want to know more than that about our teams. And we're like, well, I'm going to tell you that though. Like that's not software that we're comfortable building. And so we ended up just sort of like not having success in that area because people, I mean, we want to build a premium product that helps individuals, not a commodity product that like spies on employees. It's not, that's just not our yeah. specialized area. So yeah, I probably get it. You, you mentioned, you know, you've got, it sounds like you have some pretty unique access to first party data in terms of kind of how people work sort of generally, you know, how they work well, how they work poorly, that type of thing. And I know that you use some of that stuff to inform or at, at a minimum, you created the perception that it's informing the onboarding process, which was a really cool pattern to see. I guess I'd be curious, like what are, what are some of the, I guess, other interesting insights you learned about how, how people can get focused work done well? Like, is there, is, you know, it, it obviously seems like it varies by function um, to your point earlier. Time of day, does that matter? Week, you know, like all that kind of stuff. Like what other kind of interesting insights have you learned over the years about how people can get more focused work done? Yeah, it's, it's super, it's super individual on some level. And it's also, there are commonalities across different aspects. So when we, when I came back a couple of years ago, one of the, one of the things that we had originally in one of the early versions was like a, a sense of personalization where you put in your job role and it would default categorize things like, so one of the big ones was if you're a social media marketer, Facebook for you is a productive thing. It's not a distracting thing. Like if you're right. like Facebook ads, right? So that was something that was sort of like lost in translation over the years. And so I brought that back. And as part of it, you know, me and the data scientists did some research on like, okay, how deep on this can we go? And so we looked at things like organization size, the size of the organization actually matters. And some of that is because of just sort of logistics and, and administrative work that happen in larger organizations that you don't have to deal with in smaller ones. Yeah. A big one is like, whether you're a student or not, students have a completely different kind of work profile than, than you know, people who are working business, their schedules are much different. One of the other interesting aspects was like consultants and freelancers or entrepreneurs have something like a hybrid sort of mentality instead of like not, they're not just individual contributors or managers or some kind of aspect of both. So capturing some sort of a, like a, a sense of specialization first and generalization and, you know, obviously things like whether you're a manager or an individual contributor, if you're, if you're a manager, and this is actually something that I learned when I left. When I left, I got to be basically a high-level manager of a team. And I, I, was, I learned at rescue time that like, I wasn't supposed to spend time in meetings or in email. So I was bad at my job. <laughs> and then, and, you know, the CEO was like, hey, like pulled me aside. I was like, why aren't you sending out email updates? And like, why are you scheduling more meetings? I was like, oh, that is my job, isn't it? I guess I should be doing that. I wasn't used to like that big of a team and having to do that. So, so we've built that into the product now where if you're a manager, it's okay to spend more time in meetings. In fact, you should be spending time in email and in Slack and those things. And that counts as focus work for you because your job is to manage people. So those are some of the things that we've kind of like been able to kind of derive in the patterns of, of our data and like build that into the smart recommendations for how to set up the product and also how to nudge you along the way. Yeah. How has, you know, using the software both before and kind of now, I mean, how, you know, you meant, it, 
you mentioned now kind of as a, as a manager, you've evolved in terms of your understanding of what constitutes focus time for you and things like that. But I, I have to imagine that, and maybe you were already this way, but I have to imagine that your use of the product and kind of living and breathing it has shaped how you personally work. What sorts of things have you sort of learned about yourself by using this software and just by living in it that, that has shaped kind of how you, how you navigate your day, how you navigate your week, that type of thing? This is a really good question. Thank you for this. This is something that I've been, I've been really kind of like hesitant to sort of personally talk about over the years because in in some way it kind of like outs me as a particular type of, of worker, I think, in the sense of like potential hiring managers. <laughs> like if wow. I ever needed to get a job, like, is this going to screw me over? And like, that's a real fear for people. Like yeah. people know how they work best at their core, but they're always terrified that they're going to look the wrong way and get fired from it. Like I had a, early bad experience at a job where I was, I wasn't working the way that they wanted me to work. And I lost my job because of it. And I think a lot of that fear kind of like led to the way that we structured, that I helped structure rescue time in the beginning, which is like, I need to work a certain way. I just do. I'm, I'm different, but a lot of people are, I think. Yeah. And, and so like, for me, like one of the first insights that we saw was during Y Combinator, like I said, there's basically one of our early graphs, like showed a scallop pattern on Monday. I was super productive. Tuesday, I kind of trailed off. By Wednesday, I was like hitting a dip. And if that continued, Thursday and Friday was like, would trail off. And then, you know, the next week it would come back up, right? So I was very front loaded in the week. And so, you know, Tony, my co-founder was like, hey, why don't we take Wednesday off and see what happens? And I did. And it kept, it actually kept my average higher overall than it was when not that break. So, I mean, that was a really interesting, powerful insight for me in 2008. And it kind of taught me that, yeah, I have the luxury of actually being able to build my schedule the way I want to as a company founder. But what we should be doing is like helping build software that teaches people that too. So there's there's some insights into like how, like what times of the week are best for for you to sort of focus and like what times of the day are best for you. We can, we can sort of learn that and, and help teach you that. But we also need to sort of like build that into the product in a way that kind of like messages people, this is what's normal. It's okay to be this way. I mean, one of the other things I learned is like, you know, three to four hours a day of productive time, it takes me something like 32 hours a week to get there. I mean, Mm. sometimes it's less, right? And then, and like, so what's funny is like this whole movement that's happening right now about the four day work week and not just four day, four 10 hour days, but like four day, like 32 hour days is... It's not surprising to me because I've been working that way for the last 15 years. Like straight up, like this is the thing that like, yeah. I mean, I've, I've worked at companies where like I've been in the office for 40, 50, 60 hours a week, but I haven't, you know, I haven't been able to do more than what I was doing when I was at respite time. And so I would do things like on Fridays, I invented this thing called Meta Friday, where like we would go off site and just like talk about meta issues because I just, I knew that if I tried to keep working that day, it was going to hurt. Mm-hmm. So I found ways to sort of like balance around it. But when I got back to rescue time a couple of years ago, and I switched back to the mode that I was used to. It was so much of a relief. Like so much of my life fell back into place. I had hobbies again and which like helped my work. Like it became more creative and it helped yeah. me sort of like get more done. So it's a real thing. And in the years where I wasn't able to sort of be true to how I worked best were the like some of the hardest for me. Like I, I had a lot of burnout issues. I had a lot of you know, stress issues. So 
mean, this is the best job I've ever had, partly because I've designed it around how I work best. And I, I hope that people can use our product to help them do that for themselves when they're working remotely, especially, you know? Yeah, totally. I hate labeling myself in any way, but I mean, I think I would probably be considered, you know, a biohacker sort of. And one of the tools that I use a lot is this tool called Rise Science, which is like a sleep tracker, but it, it rolls everything up into this like sleep debt number. And then it shows me kind of how my, I guess you'd call my circadian rhythm works and where my dips are. And I have, I've used that in the past. And then especially, you know, as a, as an active kind of rescue time user, again, I've been trying to kind of tie those two points together and be like, all right, I'm going to try to time, here's how much focus time I I realistically can do. And then I'm going to try to time it to kind of my natural rhythms of my body. Have you found other like relationships either through your software or just anecdotally where folks have, are, you know, like coupling all of this quantified self stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Tying it into making more better decisions about focus. Have you found anything like that that's been effective? So much. There's, I mean, I, it's challenging because I've, in some ways I'm a quantified selfer, but I'm kind of like, I'm saying I'm like a recovering quantified selfer where like you can get too into the details and like get too focused on, there's a lot of, there's a lot of blowback now against some of the like, you know, life hacking stuff that they say that, you know, people were sort of like finding false signals in the data and, and turning them into clickbait, right? But there's truth to, to, to it. And, and there's a lot that I learned about that space by sort of being so close to it for so long, but I've never been like, that much it's, it's kind of ironic because i was the least likely person to to build as personal analytics tool because i just don't care about the level of detail that it gives me i just i just it just yeah. bores me i i care about results uh, yeah. but to your point one thing that we noticed especially in like refactoring our like our entire product was like we're not we're actually not productivity analytics we're actually digital wellness and we kind of like when we were looking at, you know, helping people get to their optimal productivity score, which is a thing that we don't do anymore, we do a focus goal. We realized that like our, our inspiration were things like Fitbit. We don't want people to spend too much time looking at the details. We want, we want them to see a pattern of success and mm-hmm. to continue that pattern of success, right? Like streaks, accomplish your goals and like, you know, support like also adjusting but one of the things we're building is like if you if you can't if you overblow your focus goal we'll adjust it like okay well you're doing too well we'll help you you know keep on track with your level of success or if you're going below it maybe there's reasons for it and we'll drop it down we want you to be successful anyway so digital wellness has a lot of overlap in you know some of our inspiration also comes from meditation and mindfulness apps and sleep tracking apps and one of the sleep tracking apps I can't remember the name of it now that we looked at. It was a big inspiration for us too. Like, how do you, like, how do you track things like, okay, I had a good night's sleep. What did I do the day before that led to it? That sort of thing. And so what we're doing over the next year or so is we're, we have this very elaborate API and integrations framework that we use to connect to Zapier and some other things, but we're looking at integrating closer with other digital wellness apps like fitness trackers and sleep trackers and mindfulness apps and and breathing services. And then we're starting early conversations with some of those to sort of like work together on a more holistic package of wellness. Yeah. Because, you know, the a big untapped market of wellness is the time that you spend working. Like yeah. people look at the other time, but nobody looks at like what is the impact of your work and how well and how efficient you're working? Like that's a huge deal. That's a third of your life, right? Yeah. So, 
Well, and it yeah. seems symbiotic too, right? Like the, the food that I eat, the, yeah. how well I'm hydrating my exercise will inform, or I would imagine impact my ability to focus for a couple of, you know, a couple hours a day or whatever it is. But then at the exactly. same time, like you were saying, if assuming I'm not a Facebook ad manager and I'm, I'm, I'm going on to, I'm getting my like dopamine hit constantly. Right. I would imagine that that's going to impact, you know, my levels of anxiety that probably will that probably will manifest itself in what I eat and my food decisions because I've drained my willpower or whatever it is. Like I have, I have to think there's probably an interplay there that we're not currently tapping into fully. Absolutely. And that's, that's the sort of frontier of where we're going with this new version. Like the big, the big overhaul we did over the past year was like getting us back to sort of parity with the kinds of features that are valuable in the same way that the old version was. And, and we feel like we've gotten there. We launched that you know, the next versions are about, about going deep on wellness, like really sort of like integrating with, with, you know, like I did an experiment a few years ago, like what happens if I, if I don't drink coffee for 10 days? <laughs> well, it turns out I was bad at my job because I can't talk to people if I don't drink coffee. And I just don't want to talk to people. It's just, it's a different thing for me. So, so, you know, coffee is, is a useful, you know, medication for, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, we can, you know, we can track that and we can be like, we can make recommendations like, well, maybe you should, you're having trouble focusing, maybe you're having too much coffee, maybe you're not exercising enough. And, you know, exercise for me over the past year, especially during the pandemic was transformative. Like how quickly I was able to reach my focus goal. Like yeah. I do two walks a day for like 30 minutes or an hour, which yeah. is a lot of time away from my computer during my work day, but consistently it helps me do my job better. And, yeah. and it's so valuable. Yeah, I found the same thing. I started uh, doing when I have a conference, when I have a conference call, you know, with like status check-ins and things like that, like you don't really need to see my face in this picture for the eighth time. <laughs> I'm going to take it. Yeah. I'm going to go for a walk around the block and yeah, it's, it's hugely recharged. I'd be curious. You mentioned that you don't, you know, you, it's funny. You're not interested in the, in the data so much as you are interested in the results. And one of the things I've, you, you see, like when someone starts playing around with like Google analytics forever, you know, they'll look at like the real time data and they'll look at these vanity types of things. And I'm a big like GTD person in terms of how I set up and manage my, my time. But I, what I realize and what I've advised other people is the final boss with my GTD is like, I've got all of my next actions documented. I've got all of my projects prioritized, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then in, and then in the moment it's Tuesday and I want to sit and look at it. I don't feel like doing any of it, you know? And so then what the hell do I do then? And it just, I could see a scenario where you set this up and you've got, cause we're just infinitely self-deceptive, right? So you set this up you know, the, the certain types of things that should constitute focus work. Like if I'm, I'm, if I'm using these tools versus these tools, that should be a signal that I'm doing the most important stuff, but it's not necessarily a given. And I could, I could hack it subconsciously or consciously toward doing things that look like they're focused, but really I'm just, I'm not, I'm not doing important things at least. How do you deal with that final level of like, all right, I know what I should be doing. How, I guess, how do you avoid the self-deception and like make sure that you're focused on outcomes and not just on a new level level of fake work, I guess? You know what's interesting? Like, I'm, I'm going to admit something else here that I don't think I've ever admitted. I mean, I'm feeling very honest on this podcast. This is something that our, the old version of our software let us do pretty easily. Like I, for a little while, I worked at a company that was like very... It's very pressury about like how much work you got done, like how long you were there. And fortunately it was a really fun job and I liked it, but I didn't, I didn't like the sort of like friction of feeling like I was only doing like three or four hours of work 
day. So I actually actually rebalanced my rescue time data so that things like Slack and email and meetings actually, especially meetings, like actually counted for productive work because meetings seem like they're productive and sometimes they are, yeah. but they're not focused work. And, and so like one of the things that this new version does is over the years, we've derived levels of abstraction. Like we started with tags. We added categories, which are like groups of tags. And now we have sort of like meta widgets, right? So this new version has meetings as a concept. Meetings can be made up. Well, first of all, it's a calendar thing. So it's not even what you're doing. And in fact, if I were to be like sort of like in my, if I was like in my, maybe my code tool right now, if I was in Visual Studio Code while I was talking to you during this meeting time, it wouldn't count any of that. It's not going to count any of that as focus work because I'm not doing focus work. So, so the meeting actually preempts any of the focus work time that would normally be generated by the backend system. And the same thing with like communication tools, the same thing with other sorts of things. So we're, so we're coming up with more, not to sort of like, we're not being stricter, but we're being more honest about like, what it is that we care about, right? This is why productivity was a problem because meetings are productive in a sense. Yeah, email is productive in a sense, but for a lot of people, they're not focus work, right? And focus work is when is the thing that people really feel like. Unless you're obviously a manager, right? But managers have to do a certain amount of that too. Is the thing that's actually moving things forward for for you and for the business. So by creating that distinction and like protecting when it can happen, it can't happen during meetings. It really kind of like helps, and that's why our goal is realistic one. Right. Like we could, we could set a goal for people to say, Hey, you should, you should hit four or five hours of focus work day, which is possible. Yeah. And you know, the best people are going to do that sometimes, maybe not all the time, but it's not, it's not super realistic. If you keep a good pace, then, then you don't feel like you need to cheat the system. Right. Like if we're just sort of honest about what everything is, then, then that's all that really, I mean, just sort of like, you know, your, your watch tracking activity. It tracks your calories during the day, but you also can tell it when you're exercising, right? And that's, that's like an extra distinction. Like, no, I'm serious about this right now. And we do that same thing with our focus sessions. Like you can start a focus session, which is an intentional thing. And we're building into it later on things like, what do you want to get done in this focus session? Did you get that thing done? And that's like a more, that's a better way of sort of being accountable to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I know that you, you mentioned, I think a couple of things, uh, instances where you've taken this stuff and applied it to your organization in terms of the habits and the practices that, that you encourage from your team. I'd be curious to hear, you know, A, like what maybe some of those might be in terms of how, you know, you're living this out inside of the organization. And then B, either for managers or for organizations that buy into this idea of like, you know, three, four hours focus day and like not burning our people out and not doing all of this work theater, like how they can create a similar type of environment. Any lessons you've learned there? Yeah. It's really important to have a work environment that works for the broadest variety of, of worker, right? Like some of the, some of the best people don't fit into normal patterns of, of, you know, work. <laughs> So, I mean, some of the things that we've built in our company is like pretty, pretty immediately we figured out that we could build a flexible schedule. And this, this was pretty early on. It was easier as founders, but you know, once we started hiring people, we, we taught them like, yeah, like figure out, like use our software, figure out what works best for you and set your schedule around that. Remote friendly is also a bit of a major thing for us. Like, you know, because our software 
sort of accounts for things across the board. Like we can, we can hire people in different time zones. We can plan meetings around what works best for people across like times. We had, we just hired somebody who is in the UK right now, which is kind of a challenge for a lot of people to sort of like figure out how to optimize schedules around. But that's a thing that's pretty easy for us to do because we can, you know, give people flexible schedules and, and trust them to, if they hit their focus goal, they're done working for the day. <laughs> it gives people space for their lives, which makes them more loyal. Like we have, I think the median, I don't, I haven't, I wanted to do the actual math on this, but like the median uh, for the amount of time that people have spent at rescue time as employees is I think well over four years. Like we've people that have been around for like eight or 10 years. And it's easy for us to find talent anywhere in the world because like how many other companies like offer these, the things that we have, right? Like we, we can detect, we can help you detect when you're burned out. And that's when you take a vacation because we don't want you to work when you're burned out, right? Like, Thanks. and we know how much like vacation is good for you and, and all these things. So, you know, I mean, some of the things that we've had to learn to be better about is how to be organized as a team and like how to set focus areas for people to focus on. But, you know, ownership is a big thing. Ownership starts from like owning how, I just, I think I just realized this. It's easy to feel ownership in a project that you're working on if you're trusted to, to take ownership in the best way to work on it, right? And so we power our employees to do that. It works for us. We have the best team that I've ever worked on, worked with. Like, I, and I've been in a lot of companies, if you look at my LinkedIn, <laughs> they're, they're an amazing team. And it's, it's no question it's because of the way that we've been able to structure our work environment. And we just switched to a four-day work week, a 32-hour work week, because and it was pretty, it was pretty easy switch. Like we wanted to make sure that we weren't creating problems with people by condensing when meetings happened during the week, which is honestly, that's the, the hardest logistical challenge of us with making that switch. It turns out that like, you know, a lot of the people, we did a survey, like, like be honest, like, are you, are, do you already feel like you're working a 32 hour work week? And, you know, a lot of people, including myself said, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I've been doing this because it doesn't really take me that long to get to my focus goal during the week. So yeah. Are there any nuances you've seen for organizations or roles where, where they have, they have clients, let's say like some professional services or things like that. They have to not only, not only do they, uh, the clients have certain expectations about communication, all that kinds of things. In some cases they have like a billable target where they're supposed to be billing time. Any nuances you've seen there and how, how folks could still kind of buy into this ethos in an environment like that, where you know, it's not necessarily a product focused organization, but more service oriented. That's a really good question. I don't know that I have a great answer for this. I know that like it's been a constant friction point for us product wise for the life of the business. Like we get a certain amount of our users sign up because they really want to kind of feed into their freelance hour tracking software, either as like a team or individual for billing and stuff like that. Right. And like immediately it's a problem because it, if you've done any freelance work, you build by like the 15 minute or the, by the 30 minute, you know, yeah. block. And we track yeah. to the second, right? So like to fill out an hour of freelance work, if you look at that hour, you're going to maybe have gotten the 38 or 42 minutes of actual work. And mm-hmm. so like right off the bat, <laughs> this, there's like a built-in sort of problem with like using rescue time for tracking freelance hours. It's not it's not great for that. And so, you know, people have requested for us over the years to, to build in project tracking and, you know, freelance tracking, like things like Harvest and, and other sorts of things do that. And we just sort of decided to not go to that direction because I think for the longest time, the 
one of the biggest ethoses for us was just just honesty. Like we're gonna we're gonna be exact about how we report back to you how you're spending your time because otherwise wouldn't really be helpful. Yeah. And and so there's like a fundamental incompatibility with that with freelance work. So I mean, I think if we were, if I were to say like, how do we help freelancers? I think we help freelancers less about like being able to track how many hours they spend on projects, but, but we do have resolution into things like document titles and, and, you know, file names and things like that, that you can sort of like use to get a sense for like how your projects were broken down during the week. But I think what's more important though, and I don't think we're ever going to build, I don't want to say ever, we don't have any plans to build freelance like project tracking tools, but, but just like anybody using the principles that we have built into the software about focus, you're going to be a good freelancer if you can balance your, in fact, like maybe even more importantly than anybody, like freelancers don't have a boss. This was the thing that I learned as an entrepreneur is like, I'm the worst boss for myself because I couldn't, I mean, until we built this, like I didn't know when to stop working. So I would just work constantly because I had nobody to like report to and like to tell me to stop. So, you know, freelance is, is a similar thing. I was like, okay, well, if I just put in more hours, then I can make more money, but there's diminishing returns. We can help service those and sort of like help people find like a healthy balance for their lives so that, you know, they can, they can do their, their freelance work and also live a productive life on their own outside of work. You have ways of tying, you know, obviously you're not, you know, as you said earlier, you know, you, you, you respect your team's privacy and, and the software doesn't, you know, you're not trying to create, I don't remember exactly what you called it, gotchaware or whatever it is, but, um, Adelurian. yeah. How is there a relationship between this stuff and performance management by which I mean, yeah, does, if you come in as a, as a boss with an expectation that your team is going to realistically get, let's call it three work, three hours of focus work done a day. Does it change the kinds of goals that you set for your team or does it, you know, like in terms of the aggressiveness or what you realistically think you can get done in a, in a quarter or in six months or whatever it is. And then when the rubber meets the road and let's say, you know, a goal slips or a team member is struggling to kind of perform at a high level, you know, how do you, how do you navigate that conversation? Cause the, obviously the temptation when people feel like they're not doing a good enough job is like just work harder or work more or whatever it is. Like, how do you, um, how does this philosophy, I guess, impact performance management? This is really good. This is a really good question. And this was a, this was the direction that I wanted to explore when we went into the like B2B software side of things where like, like, like less interesting to me. And in fact, like abhorrent to me is the idea of like corporate spineware. But, but one thing that we figured out is, okay, pretty immediately we're like, oh, if we sell it B2B, then we can sell it from like an ROI perspective. If And we did the research on it and we figured out that if you ran, like if you ran rescue time for business, which doesn't exist anymore, but at the time, if you ran it on your team, and like I said, it only surfaced things like whether people were hitting their, their goals or not, not what they were doing, then it would give you basically the equivalent of an extra person on your team for a five person team in terms of like, you know, helping them reach that four, the three to four hour focus work goal. Like that was the equivalent of another person. It translates to this, the same as like having an extra day, like having a day off from work, right? Like it's the same sort of thing as like most companies on average without looking do like two hours of focused, quote, productive work a day. So like just the idea of actually looking 
gives you more room to do more things. Helping people be more mindful of, of their day and to, to focus better lets you accomplish more. And so right away, you have more bandwidth for tasks, but also the other part of the performance management side, and I was looking at like IBM Cognos and like some SAP software back in the day, like to try to figure out how we would build this. I thought that like one of the things that we could do, and like I said, we don't have any plans of actually building this right now for businesses. We're, we're very focused on the individual. I want to stress that, but you can think about how, you know, somebody's, somebody's work patterns can be a leading indicator for revenue in that if you're, if you're looking at teams who are constantly hitting their focus goals every day, then, you know, that, that team is going to, you know, meet their quarterly goals or not. If you, if you see other ones that are like, are failing to, it's an indication that there's something wrong with that team. Maybe the manager's got a problem. Maybe, maybe there's discontent. Maybe people are burned out. Probably not. Maybe there's lack of motivation. Maybe it's not the right talent. And so you can, I, I thought about like, how do we, I spent some time at a venture capitalist incubator, but I thought about, oh, how does somebody make retention software? People's always, people are always talking about talent acquisition software, but how do you make retention software? Retention software is if you can get people to be in balance and, and hit a focus goal constantly, then they're going to want to stick around. You're going to have a really great team and you're going to hit your quarterly goals, um, I think pretty consistently. And so that's interesting to me. I don't, I don't know where it's going to go, but I find, like that's some insight that I think a lot of companies don't really know. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I'm curious, just, you know, real quick, it's kind of a tangent, but the, the product itself, most people, when they think of building software, they think of it's an app and you log into it and you have it open on your window or whatever it is. And, and rescue time is, is in a category of product where it's, it lives up in the menu bar for the most part. And it's kind of a passive product in a way, which I've not, I've not built stuff like that. And it's just, it's interesting to me. I would imagine that you have to think about it different, differently in terms of how you assess, you know, product adoption, how you optimize for retention, like, like yeah. it, all of that kind of stuff. Like what have you learned maybe about building products that kind of sit behind the scenes as opposed to other types of products? From a business perspective, it's entirely different. And, and this is a thing that we're, we're sort of coping with right now. That, I mean, if you look at sort of metrics driven product management, you know, from metrics perspective, you want people to, with a SaaS service, you want people to sign up, you want them to, you know, convert from a free trial, you want them to retain, you want them to stay around for as long as they can, right? And with a product like what we call Resident Ten Classic, it's a thing where it's like you, you, you get people set up and running, and then you kind of want to stay out of their way for a couple of reasons, right? You don't want to, you don't want to annoy them with being distracting. And this is a challenge with our new version. It's like, we want these new training features, but we don't want to bother people with them. But you don't sometimes, and this is an unconscious thing in business, I think it's easy to sort of like accidentally optimize towards letting people forget that you exist. And that doesn't create great product development patterns, right? Like yeah. you, you're disincentivized to remind people that you exist because if you do it wrong, they might notice that they're still paying for you and cancel. This is, this is the thing that I struggle with because, yeah. you know, like people, people have come up to me and be like, oh, rescue time is, is, is your business model to get people to sign up and then like, for, like have them forget that they're paying you? And, and like, yeah. no, absolutely not. But it can happen if you don't pay attention. So the, this new version is designed for the first time, we've designed a product that's one of our key metrics is daily active users. And, you know, that's, that's us sort of like putting our money where our mouth is in terms of like, okay, for this kind of product that we're building, 
it's going to be valuable if people want to use it every day. Yeah. And it's going to be a harder road for us because, you know, we've benefited from people, honestly, who forget that we exist and don't, you know, they're, maybe they're expensing it and they're, you know, all that stuff. That's not a good pattern for us to move products from. Like we would rather, you know, like see what, what it is we do that works for people and makes them stick around. And what are the things that are like driving people away so we can stop doing those things? So it's, it's lending itself to a much quicker product development cycle by being more in your face about what it is that we're trying to do. And it's a completely different mindset. So it sounds like setting the time, like doing a focus session would be kind of the most ideal uh, implement of that. Is that fair? Yeah, right now that's one of our things is like people sign up, they get their calendar connected and they start a focus session. And and we want to make it really easy to do those things. And then also to make it into a habitual thing, we're rolling out a feature that makes it automatic that like integrates into your calendar so that when you, you can schedule focus sessions that people can't book meetings around, yeah, we just made it a certain way that knows to, that's cool. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. So it's a fear of being noticed versus a fear of not being useful, I think, to yeah. your question. <laughs> that's an interesting tension. I want to be respectful of your time. Last thing is, I know you, you know, you mentioned the 32 hour work week, you know, I just kind of in previous chats and things like that, I know you have some interesting views, I guess, on how organizations can run well or, and maybe it was sort of nice to have pre-COVID, but it seems like the hybrid environment is not going anywhere. Yeah. I guess like, would your advice be to other organizations that are going to, that are, that are trying to navigate this world and it's new to them, kind of taking all of this stuff about balance, taking all this stuff about like, Hey, you know, respecting your team, building trust, letting them work the way that they want to work. What would your advice be to those organizations try who, who sincerely want to create that type of environment for people? Yeah. You know, we're still, we're actually still measuring the results of our internal switch to the 38 32 hour work week now. So far it's been really positive for us, but we're trying to make sure that we give people the space to not be too pressured to sort of communicate, you know, outside of this, that schedule. So it's tricky. Yeah. But I, I just actually did a tweet yesterday. <laughs> I, I, I tweeted on a poll about, it was something like, would you get fired if you individually, if you're a remote worker and you individually switched to a 30 hour, 32 hour work week, like would anybody notice and would you get fired? And right now it's like 50, 50, like, like half mm. people are saying that they would get fired and the other half are saying either that they wouldn't or that they're already doing it. I suspect, especially if you measure, if you measure work the way that we do is as like, what's typical about focused work. I think most people are already, especially if they're remote workers, they're doing, even if they're not like commuting, it's, is a thing. They're probably already doing a 32 hour work. I don't think that the 40 hour work week exists. I think that what we're uncovering with, with, you know, all this research that's coming out right now is that like, it turns out that it depends on how you measure it. You can't just measure it as like butts and seats. You have to measure it as like, what's actually getting done. You know, how much administrative tasks are there? Like, you know, a lot of the 40 hour work week schedule comes from people having to be in the office and having to do things like type on typewriters and like walk to a file cabinet and like search through for physical pieces of paper. Like so much of business used to be like just sort of the machinery of, of navigating all of that. Like that doesn't exist anymore. And like, so what do we do with that extra time? Well, we, you know, book doctor's appointments and we, you know, go for coffee walks and we surf Facebook for a while or watch YouTube videos. And, and I mean, it seems like on paper we're, we're doing the 40 hour thing, but I don't think people actually are. I think it's, I think it's already true that most people don't based on like, if they really were to measure their focus time the way that we do. So I think, I think 
hopefully companies will start to see that like there is just like there was about remote work, there is empathy for like, if they really look at themselves, like, are they really doing 40 hours worth of work or would it be better for them to kind of like give their employees more flexibility into reaching the goals that they want as a business, however works best for them. And I think, I think we're going to get there. I think it's going to happen faster than the remote work uptake. And I think people should just do it. <laughs> just try to measure for themselves and like see what happens. It's been working for us. Super interesting. Well, this has been great, Brian. For folks that want to learn more about Rescue Time or, or you know, kind of about your thoughts on balance and productivity and the relationship between those things, like where, where can I send people? So just go to rescuetime.com. We have a free trial. Our blog is amazing. We have a decade of content about, you know, qualified self things, but also like about how to optimize Slack, about how to, you know, deal with having too many meetings in your day, how to remote work. Like we have so much content on our blog over the years that is still super relevant and valuable to people. But yeah, definitely try the product. It's, it's a free trial. It's personalized for you at rescuetime.com. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for doing this. You know, I, I, and congrats on the new iteration. I was a user back in the day and became a user once again. And it's been really cool to kind of see. And I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. It's great talking. My guest today was Brian Fioka. For more ideas on how to disrupt your own organization, visit us at manifold.group. And if you enjoyed this episode, would love a review on iTunes, Spotify, or whichever platform you use. Thanks as always for listening. That's it for this episode. We'll see you next time.